So I had a wonderful Father's Day. I hope um, those who celebrate also uh, did as well. Uh, I got a wonderful gift uh, because my, my wife is quite uh, thoughtful. Uh, Rabbi Rachel gave me a membership to the uh, uh, St. Paul Pools, which I'm very excited about. Uh, I really like, I'm really a pool person. There are certain people that are pool people. I'm a pool person. Uh, Rabbi Rachel is disgusted by public pools. I love public pools. <laughs> One of the many differences in our relationship. And so she gave us uh, this, this membership to the pool, and so I, I couldn't wait to use it. Uh, so I went the Monday after, of course you don't go to the pool on the weekend, God forbid, too crowded. Uh, so on Monday, I went to the pool, and I took this uh, tremendous tour to St. Paul I, on my bike. I rode uh, 20 miles around the whole entire city, you know, and, and just gave my bearings a little bit. And of course, I was completely out of shape and almost uh, collapsed on the ride. But, you know, I, I made it, and eventually my plan was to end at the pool. So I get to the pool. I'm very excited to use my pass plan. I walk into the pool, and I'm about to stick my toe in the pool, and all of a sudden, I, I wish I had a whistle right now for a sound effect. There was a whistle, and the lifeguards whistled their whistle and announced a half-hour safety break. Everybody out of the pool. I couldn't believe it. I'm, I'm schwitzing. It's 95 outside. I don't necessarily like to stand there without a shirt on. You know, it's like all these things. And so I, 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 I you know, walk with my head down back to the thing. And I'm like, I, I'm cursing under my breath. I'm like, ah, I can't get in the pool. I went, worked all this way. I biked all around St. Paul to get here. I can't believe it. And I'm complaining to the people next to me. How could they do this? They need a half hour safety break? Come on. How hard is it? Come on. Let's get back in the pool. Let's get, you know, maybe a five minute safety break, a 10 minute safety, a half hour safety break. It's like all my time. And so, what do I do? Okay, I eventually get back in the pool. I make it. Everything's okay. I get back to the staff meeting. Um, we have a staff meeting at 10 a.m. every Tuesday, um, and it's uh, one of the most entertaining portions of my week, um, led by the fabulous Ken Agernoff. And uh, it's, it, it's incredible. It's incredible. And uh, we have a, a part where I update. We update everybody about our personal lives which of course is Ken's favorite part, my favorite part as well. And so my personal story was how I was frustrated at the pool that they had this safety thing. And um, uh, I think Susie, right? Susie, one of our, uh, our unbelievable person who sits at the desk, does a, a great job, um, says to me, well, you know, my, my child was a lifeguard and it's an extremely difficult uh, job to be a lifeguard. Um, and to, especially when the pool is so crowded, there's so many people there, so many people. Um, and, and, you know, the, the, they're mostly teenagers who are doing this job, who are lifeguards. And, and there's also a tremendous lifeguard shortage. So they don't have enough lifeguards um, to make sure that everyone's safe. So in order to make sure everyone's safe, they have these safety breaks so that these kids can ha are, are make sure that they're, they're awake enough, that they're, uh, uh, you know, able to make sure that everyone's safe in the pool. And I said, wow, had no idea there was a lifeguard shortage and have, had no idea how hard it is to be a lifeguard. I was never a lifeguard myself. And, and now I understood a lot better why they might need this half hour safety break, even though it was quite irritating to me. But I was able to understand. And I, and I thought back to that moment and said, why, why at that moment did I not believe? Right? Why did I not believe that there was a reason for this safety pause, right? Why couldn't I have faith at that moment and how important it is to have faith at that moment, to have belief at that moment in something that I didn't understand. And of course, you know, it's easy sort of to have belief when we can sort of back up our beliefs by, you know, talking to, you know, Susie Hyams of the world and to understand the truths of the universe. 
right? Um, but a lot of things that we need to believe in, it, it, you actually can't really back it up, right? You can never actually find proof to some of the most important things that we need to believe in. Of course, and sitting in synagogue, that, of course, is faith in God, right? We're never going to really know whether God exists according to science or not, or be able to prove there's an afterlife or what have you of many of the, the belief statements that we, we come here today. Yet, we believe. Yet, we have faith. Right? Belief is an essential component, actually, of existing in the universe. And I'm going to tell you what I want to talk about today is why. Why is belief so essential? Right? Why can't we just go by well, what we have proof of? Right? Go by the scientific method. If science says it's true, it's true. And if not, then it's not. And okay, done, period. Why? Well... A really famous person said this this week in our parsha. Now, that's, of course, Korach. Korach did not want to believe. He didn't want to have faith. If something doesn't make logical sense and Korach didn't understand it, he wanted to do away with it. According to our Midrash, one of Korach's big problems um, is that he came to Moshe and he said, if my talus is completely the color of Techelet, it's that beautiful light blue. I have it in my talus right here, that one string of techelet. He said, if my talus is completely that beautiful blue, that beautiful techelet, do I really have to wear, do I really have to put separate techelet strings on my talus as well? You already have the color on the whole entire talus. Why do you need it on the strings too? If it's supposed to remind us of God, isn't it doing its trick just by being on his talus itself? And Moses didn't have an answer for him. He says, I don't know. God commanded it. And then he went on. He said, what happens if I have a house full of Jewish books? I know this. <laughs> what happens if I have a house full of Jewish books? Do I really need a mezuzah on my door to remind me of God, putting one extra text on my door if my house is full of books? Isn't that enough of a reminder of God? And Moses looked at him and said, well, I don't know. God commanded it. And at that point, Korach began his rebellion and said, this tradition makes no sense. It doesn't make logical sense. We're done. According to the Midrash and Midrash Tanchuma. Now, what, was, what is in common between these two arguments that Korach was making? Korach said, if this doesn't make sense to me at this present moment, if Moses doesn't have a logical answer for me immediately, then I'm not going to do it then I'm going to refuse to believe in it. And many of those around us today in our society would say, you know, Korach makes a lot of sense. Moshe should have given a logical answer. He should have had a good answer. If Moshe doesn't have a good answer, if the leader doesn't have a good answer, then why should a person do something? Well, of course, the implicit understanding within that mistaken philosophy is that the human mind can understand absolutely everything that exists in the universe. That absolutely my brain, in my particular perspective where I am, can understand absolutely everything about the universe. And that's markedly not true. What we know scientifically about the universe is that the universe is constantly expanding. Literally, the universe that we looked at yesterday is not the same universe as we look at today. Literally, there are unknown parts of the universe that did not exist yesterday that are existing today. So how is it possible that we can absolutely know everything about our universe. Also, our brains are finite. 
We can only understand certain things. We know that bats and we know that certain birds can see things and hear things. We don't. If you have a dog, you know they smell things that we don't smell. Yet we walk around in this world with the mistaken philosophy that everything that there is to be known, we know. We just need to think about it long enough. And, but yet, it's so not true. So what's the answer to that? The answer is, as Maimonides once said, Maimonides was a great rabbi, but he was also a great scientist and also a great doctor as well. And he loved science. He studied the science, which was Plato and Aristotle of his time. And he said, religion has to match with science. And he says, I study science until I know everything that there is that science says at this point. But after that, for everything else, I make a leap. And that leap is called faith, the ability to believe. And without making that leap of faith, without making that desire to believe, that need to believe and have faith, there's no way that we can actually live in this universe. So if Maimonides can do it, so too can we. It is necessary in this universe to live a peaceful life, to live a joyous life, to live a life of connection, to live a life of safety, to believe, to have some element of believing in something that we can't understand. Each and every one of us has to believe. We have to have faith and believe that this nation can become better, that this nation is a source of truth, that this nation is a source of liberty. We have to believe that our congregation has the ability to become better, right? We have to believe that we can heal our cities. We have to believe in so many things in this world that we have no way of proving. We have to believe that the Minnesota Twins are the best baseball team in the world even though they can't hit a ball, right? Yet you have to believe because if you can't believe, you'll never survive will never exist. Actually, believing is the most essential component about dreaming of something that doesn't exist, of envisioning something that doesn't yet exist in our reality. If you can't believe, all you have is the present moment and you have no future. Actually, belief and dreaming and visioning builds the future. It is an essential component of our universe. It helps us to grow. It helps us to change. Yet, I see more and more in our society today, we're losing the ability to believe. Whether it's belief in God, belief in organizations, belief in our country, belief in our city, belief in whatever it may be, we're losing the ability to have faith. And of course, for good reason. It's because we've been let down. I empathize with that. I sympathize. Hey, I've been let down by God many times. Okay? But that doesn't mean we don't get up and try to have faith once again. Because without faith, without belief, there is no future. And again, how do we practice faith? How do we practice the ability to believe? How do we build the muscles of faith and belief that we need to, to exist in this world? It's, of course, through religion. Through the practice of our religions and our faiths, we practice our faith muscles. It doesn't negate science. It doesn't negate facts of the universe but it flexes and builds the muscle to believe and dream. And that is an essential component of what it means to be a human in this universe. And of course, it's the essential component that Korach was missing in his rebellion against God. He needed to have faith. 
He needed to believe in God that even though he didn't understand the reason of why there needed to be a string of tachelet on the seat seed or why there needed to be a mezuzah on the door if the house was full of svarim, he needed to believe that there was a reason, that there is a reason, that there is wisdom behind this even though I don't understand it and maybe I'll never understand it. And that, my friends, is an essential component of the universe, essential component of human life. Shabbat shalom, everybody.